Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you shouldn't treat yourself, and we'll talk to the brilliant writer, Jonathan Fields. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, talking to you is always a treat. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I understand that you're eating a lot more guacamole these days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have been inundated with excellent avocado recipes and guacamole recipes from all of our thoughtful listeners who have been helping me to go onward to more avocado. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, my favorite is the one where you just have to mash an avocado <laughs> and then put in fresh salsa from the uh, yeah. store because it's like couldn't be easier. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. try that one over the holidays. Yes, yes. Speaking of holidays, the holidays are fast approaching. Yeah. And I wanted to tell everyone that if you want a happier t-shirt to email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com and I will get you information on how to get those and I can get it out quickly, but you know, it, it'll take a little bit of time. So if you want one before Christmas, for sure, email ASAP. <laughs> yes. Yes. Do it right away. And Gretchen, of course, there are other gift ideas. If someone wants to um, give a loved one a copy of one of your books, The Happiness Project, <laughs> Happier at Home or Better Than Before, I highly recommend all three, Aww. or your page-a-day calendar, um, which is called Happier. Yeah. And then you've also got the one-sentence journal, which uh, <laughs> is that a five-year journal? Yeah, it's a five-year journal where you write one sentence every day. And I have to say, people really get a kick out of that. That's a great, Yeah, that seems like. And then I've got my Better Than Before day-by-day -day journal. So I basically have an entire line. <laughs> yeah, if you want to read a book, you want to have a calendar, you want to keep a journal. Like, uh, yeah. So thank you, Elizabeth, for <laughs> acting as a little, my little promo agent there. What a nice sister. Absolutely. I recommend all of your products. <laughs> Gretch, I wanted to mention an update on our soul destroying app. Yes. Uh, segment we did in episode 91. We yeah. told everyone to delete a soul destroying app. Yes. And wow, I think the winner is Facebook. Yeah. And it seems like what people are doing is they're, they are deleting the app from their phone and keeping it on their desktops. Many, many, many people said like this way, I still have access to it sometimes, but I'm just going to be checking it much less often. So that was a way to, to control it without absolutely deleting it. And so it was interesting that so many people mentioned that. Yeah, I think in the wake of the election, people have been obsessed with Facebook. So it's yep. they're they're just getting too it's taking up too much time. So they're limiting that. You know, and our, our listener Hadley had another interesting idea that she used with Facebook, but you could use it with a lot of different things. Because um, this part of the semester is really, really busy for her. She had her husband change her Facebook password, so she can't access it, whether from her phone or from desktop, so she's completely shut out. But then um, it's not like deleting it, because after the holidays, they'll just change her password back, and then she'll be able to use it again. So I thought that was a clever way of, like, 
it's it can feel burdensome to like you know all the way to leap, but this way she just can't get to it. So it's it's uh, that was yes. a very smart strategy. <laughs> yes, I wonder if she's an obliger. That sounds like an obliger thing to do. Interesting, interesting. So Elizabeth, this week our try this at home tip is don't treat yourself. Oh, interesting, because in episode nine and other times in the podcast, we've emphasized the importance of treating yourself. So this is the opposite. It's important not to treat yourself. Yes. And this is the thing about treats. And I am so fascinated by the role that treats can play uh, in a happy, healthy, productive life. And we 100% need healthy treats. Um, But the thing about treats is that often when we're treating ourselves, we're doing something to try to make ourselves feel better, but in the end, it just makes us feel worse. Right, because we use things that aren't necessarily good for us for our treats, like, you know, chocolate, alcohol, buying stuff online, all sorts of things that lead us down a bad path. Yeah, I mean, what happens, I mean, I, I think is that you start thinking things like, well, I need this. I deserve this. I have to have this. And you're trying to like recharge yourself. And then so you reach for something that feels good in the moment. But then in the end, it's it's not a healthy treat. And so it just ends up like then you just get caught. You know, maybe you feel guilty. Maybe you feel full of regret. You feel like you let yourself down because you you were like, oh, yeah, I deserve this treat. And then after it's over, you're like, oh, man, I wish I had not done that. Like, what happened? Yeah, I have to admit, Gretch, I give myself unhealthy treats all the time. It's probably like the biggest problem in my life. If I would just not do that, you know, um, not say, oh, I deserve this bag of chips or whatever, then I would I feel like I would be in total command. <laughs> but I, I feel like you've gotten a lot better, though, because like, for instance, getting rid of uh, Candy Crush, that was a treat. And you were like, in the end, this treat is not good for me. And I'm going to so I'm going to like eliminate this treat for my life. Like, right. True. But um, that's one example. I still feel like I fall prey to this. But But see, this. This is why I think it's really important to have a long list of healthy treats, because the fact is we all get in that mode where we feel like we need to recharge ourselves and we need to give ourselves a little lift. And the fact is, and I say this is your sister, your life is full of like a lot of really stress. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of highs and lows. Like you have a more kind of um, roller coaster. Roller coaster. I mean, compared to me, like it's such a roller coaster. So I see why you get in that mode of like, I need a little something. I deserve a little something. And so then I think it's like, it's not that you shouldn't have treats because it's important to have treats because they make you feel energized and cared for. But like, what could be the healthy treats so that you feel like I'm getting something, but it's something that isn't in the end going to make me feel worse? Because it is, I think, I think it's just realistic to say like, sometimes you just do want to give yourself a treat. And um, yeah, it's the unhealthy treats where you you really don't want to give yourself a treat. Because there's also, you know, the holidays, which are coming up. And I feel like that is a time when people are like, treats, treats, (laughs) treats, like, you know, it's, it's just expected. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a lot, like there's 10 categories of loopholes and in Better Than Before, like my favorite chapter to work on was the chapter on loopholes because they're so fun and so hilarious. But like some of the loopholes that often come up in the holidays, one is the fake self-actualization loophole, which is like, you know, I'll be sorry if I don't try it and I have to celebrate this special occasion and you only live once. It's like, it only comes but once a year. I have to treat myself. 
the moral licensing loophole, which is I've been so good, I deserve to like let loose during the holiday season. Or mm-hmm. it's like, oh, starting January 1st, I'm going to be so good. It doesn't matter what I do now. So I should just like let let myself go because like starting, you know, in 2017, I'm going to I'm going to do such a good job that tomorrow is my loophole. I mean, oh, I use that one. I'm so convinced. I'm like, I'm not even <laughs> going to want chips after yeah, January 1st. It's just going to fall away. So no need to worry about it now. But see, that, I, and that is one of the things that's really interesting is like the idea that like for future Elizabeth or for future Gretchen, everything is going to be easier. And I do this with time. I know for you, it's, it's like uh, chips. For me, it's more like time. Well, once the holidays are over, I mean, my schedule is going to open up and I'll totally mm. be able to do that. Oh, once Christmas, once summer's over, we'll get back in routine. It'll be easier. Like I always have a thing like in a couple like in a couple months from now, that's when things are going to get easier for me. And so my treat is often like not working on something that I need to work on because I'm like, eh, yeah, do that. I'll do that down the road. Now, to me, it seems like this is a classic time to reframe because like I know, like, let's just take the holidays, for example, to me, it's depressing to think about the holidays and not having unhealthy treats. <laughs> right. Like to me, that just may, right. then you might as well just cancel Christmas. Right. <laughs> um, so that's how it feels to me. It's just, you know, and I think. Right. If I don't have a gingerbread boy from Andre's. Uh, yeah. Or it's like, emotional, yeah. you know. Or I, I remember one time you said stuffing for you meant Thanksgiving. Totally. Um, yeah. But one thing I was thinking, it's like you need to reframe it, or this is how things work for me, to say not treating yourself is actually treating yourself. Like how? Like not waking up regretting what you ate or drank, mm. not, you know, wasting three hours on Candy Crush, not doing any of these quote unquote bad things that's what's going to give you this lift and this good feeling. And that's an actual positive treat. Right. That you think about it's going to feel great when I can get up in the morning and feel good instead of feeling like half of Christmas Day, I'm just like trying to, yeah, fight through a hangover or something. Yeah, that's true. And that that's absolutely true that if you can find the way to frame, because it's like you saying, I remember your immortal phrase, Elizabeth, when you were giving up French fries and I said, well, how can you... How can you, how are you making this okay for yourself? And you said, well, now I tell myself that I'm free from French fries. So you did really find a way to see it as being something that was making your life better instead of being something that you were giving up. Yes. But here's another thing to do um, because now I'm a total abstainer. We've talked many times about abstainers, moderators. And for me, I'm a total abstainer. And for me, it's just easier to be a total abstainer. So this is not something that I do, but this is something that many, many people do. Like dad does this. Dad is, I would call like a mostly abstainer. And you're kind of a mostly abstainer. And that is to have a planned exception. So like, let's say Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I never eat, um, you know, I never eat sugar. But on Christmas Day, I really do want to have a piece of pumpkin pie or on Thanksgiving. Like I never eat potatoes, but on Thanksgiving, I want to have mashed potatoes because for me, mashed potatoes are like the it's not Thanksgiving if I don't have mashed potatoes or whatever it is. So you have a planned exception. And that means that in advance, you decide that you are going to make an exception to whatever habit is your usual practice because you're a grown up. You can do anything you want. You can decide, you know, on Christmas Day, I'm going to have two pieces of pecan pie. Mm. And then you look forward to it because you're like, oh, I can't wait to have that pecan pie. You enjoy it in the moment because you're like, here I am having the pecan pie that I promised myself. And then when you look back on it, you'll be like, oh, gosh, that was so great. 
to have that pecan pie. But the thing is, is you're looking forward to it with pleasure and you look back on it with pleasure. And what most people do when they invoke a loophole is they're like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to keep to my good habits. And then in the moment, they kind of find an ex- a loophole, which they always can because there's a million great loopholes. Mm-hmm. And then they let themselves off the hook and then they regret it. And that's where it's not that there's anything wrong with doing any of these things. It's just how do you feel about it? If it's a happiness stumbling block to do these things, it's like, well, how do you how do you get yourself to do what you expect of yourself? Like so that you do feel good about the way that you're acting or the way that you're thinking about something. So a planned exception lets you say it's not Christmas without eggnog or it's not Thanksgiving without pumpkin pie or whatever it is. So that's good for all the people who are freaking out right now with the idea of not treating themselves in general. Right. You could say, don't treat yourself most of the time, but if you are going to treat yourself, plan for it and be controlled about it so you're not running amok. Right, 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 right. And and it's also, I think, but to your point about like really thinking about it, I think sometimes when people, they, they just sort of assume like this is a treat, like they're not even thinking like, here's a treat, this is really going to make me feel better. It's almost just like an automatic behavior, like... It's just reaching for something like, oh, gosh, I'll just go to the mall and look around and, oh, yeah, look, here's these black boots. I would love to get these. And it's just it's not very carefully thought through because it's all just about like trying to get that Mm -hmm. energy and that lift in the moment. And so I think even just stepping back and saying, like, I need a treat. I feel like I deserve a treat. What treat do I want? And then it's again about like shining a spotlight on it. So you're not just feeling like you're flailing around and making choices that in the end just make you feel bad. So don't treat yourself. (laughs) It's like you always say, Gretch, the opposite of a truth is also often true. This is one of those times. Yeah. The opposite of a profound truth is also true. Yes. Treat yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) But also don't treat yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So let us know if you tried this at home and if how not treating yourself works for you. Uh, I'm fascinated by the role of treats um, in helping people be happier, healthier, and more productive. Um, let us know on Twitter, Facebook, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or as always, you can go to happiercast.com slash 94. This is episode 94 uh, for anything related to this episode. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers. So you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So this happiness hack um, comes from Claire, who describes herself as an avid listener. Excellent. Uh, She's from the UK, and she's also a commercial airline pilot. So this is a hack inspired by frequent travel. Yeah, she says, an airline tip you may like. If you use a safe in a hotel room, always place a work shoe in with your valuables. This means you won't leave for work without emptying the safe first. 
Ah, so that's a good idea because I hear all the time from people saying that they left stuff in the hotel safe. Yeah, and I think the idea is maybe not, it's not necessarily the work shoe, but it's just something that you know that you will notice that you need to put on as you leave. Like, I don't have really work shoes like that, but I can imagine that I would put something in there that I would not leave the hotel room without noticing that I don't have it. Like the shirt you're going to wear or whatever it is. Even if you just put like your toothpaste in there and then you you had to get it out the morning you're leaving. You know, I mean, you get it out every day, obviously. But, you know, then you'd go, oh, let me pull this stuff out, put it in my bag now. Exactly. Right. It's just this. And it's funny because once... Once Claire says it, it seems so obvious. Just yeah. put something in there that you can't leave without, like you say, without getting it out. But brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Claire, yeah. it makes sense. Airline pilot. I'm sure she's yeah. got a lot of these tips. Yes. Excellent. Thank you, Claire. Now we've got an interview with Jonathan Fields, and I have been a friend of Jonathan Fields for years. He lives here in New York City. He does a lot of different things. Uh, He writes best-selling books. That's how I know him. Uh, He's a serial entrepreneur. For one thing, he had a previous life as the head of a yoga studio. He builds communities. Among other things, he has a great podcast called Good Life Project, where he interviews fascinating people about how to live a good life. Jonathan's latest book just hit the shelves. I love this title, How to Live a Good Life. All right. Welcome, Jonathan. So great to be here. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Jonathan, you have the idea of three buckets for a good life. You have the vitality bucket, the connection bucket, and the contribution bucket. How did you arrive at those three? And can you give our listeners some examples of sort of how people can work in those areas? Yeah. So I arrived at them fitfully, slowly, and (laughs) painfully over a period of many, many years of of trying to digest it into something super simple. But that's one of the things is like when you read it, it seems like, well, that's so obvious. Like you could come up with that in five minutes, but actually took you so much thinking. And that was the whole thing. You know, there's there's certainly no lack of information in the world of personal growth. So my goal was not to add to that, but actually to figure out what was going wrong. And in my mind, what's <laughs> mm-hmm. going wrong is simplification. You yeah. know, there's so com- mm-hmm. there's complexity and heaviness. And I want to strip that away and create a model where you heard it once, you remember it for life, and it's actionable. It guides your behavior. Yeah. Well, jargon, I think, is a huge yeah. problem. Like in the habit formation, they talk about inflammation intentions. I'm like, what is that? And it's if-then planning. I'm like, if-then planning, ah. I get. If this, then right. that. Implementation intention. Right. And I came across this. I mean, we're both research people. Like I love devouring, you know, tons of research. And so my, it's just like you, it's like, how do we take all of that sort of academic language and make it just super simple so people just get it immediately and can do something with it? So how did you hit those three? Everything slowly just started. Yeah, it was pattern recognition, combination of 51 years on the planet, tons and tons and tons of (laughs) academic research, and now years sitting down with some of the most incredible people and teachers in the world. And, you know, enough data points start to form. You're like, huh, the common patterns are emerging. And it really falls into these three major categories. You know, it's vitality, optimizing your state of body and mind. It's connection, cultivating deep and meaningful relationships. And contribution, like how are you bringing yourself to the world? What's the work that you're doing that's meaningful in the world? And everything points back to those three things. You know, no matter what 
construct people use over time. And I know you go through this in the book uh, in How to Live a Good Life, but is it like often people sort of have a weak bucket where they need to focus there? Or is it more like think about all three all at once because they work together? How do you feel like most people come to this? Yeah. So it's really interesting because I actually have data on this now because as part of the process of creating a book, we also created an online tool that allows Mm. people to sort of move through and answer a series of questions. And that gives you a raw score for each one of your buckets. Oh, I'll put a link to that. Yeah. Or, or yeah. So so behind the scenes, we're, we can actually see now that larger numbers of people have done this, what the common patterns are for people. You know, like where are people really, <laughs> where are the buckets low, where are they high, what are people struggling with? My guess coming into this it was that most people would feel like their vitality bucket was really low because most people let that run pretty low in the yeah. name of filling the contribution bucket, like going deep into their work. Well, see, I would have guessed the connection bucket. Yeah, and and that would have been the second for me. It turns out from what we're we're seeing, at least if people are being honest with with their answers, is connection is probably the least problematic of the two, ah, which is surprising. That's good. Right? That's encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Um, vitality is definitely an issue, but it's less about the body side of it, and it's more about the mindset side of it. So part of the vitality bucket is really, you know, mind and body are a feedback mechanism to me. You can't separate them. And um, so I talk about state of mind as critical to vitality. And what we're seeing is that with the data we're getting, people are having a brutally hard time um, being calm and being present, Mm. especially in this day and age. You know, that's being amplified in a really major way. So it's the mindset side of the vitality bucket that seems to really be taking the bigger hit. On the contribution side, because we're also noticing something really interesting coming in there too with the data, what we're seeing is that um, people has ha- have a strong sense of who they are, what their strengths are, which surprised me because I thought there'd be a lot more disconnection. But they also feel very strongly that they're not doing meaningful work, mm-hmm. that they don't have a sense of any sort of strong sense of purpose. And that they, the the way that they're contributing to the world does not make them feel, you know, quote, lit up. And that's not entirely surprising to me. What was surprising is that they do feel like they know what would give them that and what their strengths are and what their values are. But there's a huge disconnect because but they're like, not like, applying them in a like way. Like what? Like what would be an example of that? So like somebody who feels like um, they were put on a planet because uh, they love teaching mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they feel lit up when they're teaching with small kids. Or when they're in a mentoring position with somebody like that happens to be something that sparks them. And yet they know that this is something which is critical for them to actually feel good about the way they're contributing to the world. Yet maybe they have none of that involved Mm. in the actual work that they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Interesting. So what's interesting is they're aware of it, but Uh it doesn't seem like they're doing much about it. And do you think it's partly because people just feel like they have to work to earn money and so they're just – so focused on that, they can't focus on sort of what's more fulfilling. Yeah. So that's the really interesting question, right? It, it, I I would imagine that's definitely part of it. I don't think that's the entire thing, though. My sense is that, first, I have a feeling that people weren't really focused on this disconnect um, until they start yeah. To, yeah. to dive into it a little bit. Mm. I also think that there's an underlying sense that I'm not necessarily entitled to it. Yes. Oh, mm. and I'll tell you a perfect example of this because this just popped into my mind as you were describing um, sort of a hypothetical. Because when my oldest daughter was in nursery school, um, so she was like five years old, this mother said to me with this most wistful look in her eye, you know, if I could do anything in the world... I would teach art to preschoolers. And she said this like it was the impossible dream. And I was mm-hmm. like, 
I was like, you're a, an educated, normal, nice lady. I mean, you could get a job teaching art to preschoolers like if you decided that's what you wanted. But she said it as if she were saying, oh, wouldn't it be fun to be like, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen, you know, like right. as if it was some <laughs> impossible dream. And I was always struck by that because she didn't seem to have any kind of connection between what to me seemed like something that was obviously possible, but to her seemed like yeah. something that was that was just a fantasy. And and you just used the key word, which is um, which is one of my obsessions right now, which is belief in possibility. Yes, you know, possibility mm. to me. Somebody can see it right in front of them. They can see all the pieces of the puzzle. But if there's something in their synapses that in some way tells them, but it's not possible, if they don't believe that even the slightest tiny bit that it might be possible, they'll take zero action yeah. to actually make it possible. Yeah. Well, maybe this is where – like one thing that has struck me as I've been like looking at habits is how often people – will go off and do the most extraordinary things because somebody suggested it. You know, like my aunt went to law school because somebody's like, you should be a lawyer. And she was like, you're right, I should be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, you read about people where somebody, like a teacher will say something like, hey, you know, you should be in movies. And they're like, yes, I should be in movies. And they just go off and do it. And so sometimes maybe that's what it is, is that you don't want to think that you need other people to tell you what the possibilities are. But maybe the reality of it is that often that can play a really important role that knowing that somebody that yeah. you respect feels that something's a possibility for you. Maybe that allows you to think that it is something that could be possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've actually seen this unfold so many times in the conversations that I've had. I remember a couple of years back sitting down with Milton Glaser, who's you know the most iconic yeah. living designer. He, he's known what he wanted to do since he was six. Wow. Um, not that he wanted to be a designer, but he knew that he was, he wanted to create to make beauty. And his his medium when he was six was drawing, which hasn't really changed. But there was a moment, a, a story he recounted to me, which ties immediately into this. Was he also was really good at science when he was younger in school, and everyone was pushing him to mm. go towards you know like specialized science school. So there came mm. a time where he had to take a test to either go to one of the specialized art schools in New York City or to you know classic Bronx science. And he told everyone he was taking the science test, you know, because that's what everyone was pushing him towards. Ah. When the day came, he actually took the one for art school, but he didn't tell <gasps> no. anyone. Oh, wow. He came back to school the next day, and his guidance counselor, you know, knew because they get yeah. reports on everyone. He waved him into the uh, the uh, you know the office and said, "Hey, listen, um, sit down." Pulled out his drawer and put a, a small box of pastel pencils on the oh. table and said, "Make good art." <gasps> wow! You know, so this is somebody like acknowledging him and yes. saying this is possible go do what's in your heart right and I, oh, i've seen i've seen that moment unfold in so many people's lives and conversations i've had with them over the years that I, this is why i said i'm semi-obsessed with this because i'm like how do we create more of those in other yes. people's lives how do we serve yes. as that spark right and maybe that's a contribution is that you're going to help other people recognize their own possibilities yeah um, now, and so your book is How to Live a Good Life, which is like such a great title. But um, so, but you have this Good Life Project, which is really the book is part of it, but it's much bigger than the book. So, what are all the 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 parts of the Good Life Project? Yeah, it's it's a lot of moving pieces these days. <laughs> but fundamentally, it's it's a, a global community of people who are really raising their hand and saying, "I want to participate in a community of people who are really asking the big questions and." And looking to live more engaged, more connected, more meaningful lives. So built around that, we have all sorts of other stuff from programming. We do a once a year 
Uh, we take over a kid's sleepaway camp. I know. I love this. Yeah, like, what tell, is that? Yeah. I want to hear about your, <laughs> no. your summer camp. camp. Well, it's, it's funny because a lot of people from, from the other coast are like, when are you coming out to uh, California to do this? Yeah. We, we literally take over like, a, uh, I think it's a 160 acre kid's sleepaway camp after the kids are gone. You know, and they, they clean it up afterwards. And um, and we bring in, we, we create a, a four day um, adult summer camp, which blends an exploration of how do you live a good life. It blends these ideas of programming and workshops around contribution, connection, vitality, and at the same time, all the classic stuff from summer camp, from bonfires <laughs> and talent shows and s'mores and all this stuff. <laughs> and, um, and, and we add in this one extra layer of sort of social engineering to try and take away all the sort of adolescent angst at the same time yeah. so that people were amazed that a lot of people come alone. And uh-huh. it's extremely international, which you didn't expect coming into it. So we really work hard to do things to let people feel super comfortable socially with each other. Because as grownups, it's very often scary when you it show up is. something like that. No, it sounds fun, but it also sounds intimidating. Yeah. So we'll do things like, um, you know, in the first couple of minutes, we'll greet people immediately. We'll walk them in. And then we'll do human bingo. Um, where we'll create a bingo card and instead of actually, you know, having having colors or numbers, we'll say, okay, you know, find somebody who speaks another language, find somebody ah. who's read three books, oh, find somebody. Cool. So oh. we give people permission to just approach random people and ah, ask them about themselves. That's such a good idea. I know it's hard. People want to meet new people, but then they also resist it like yeah. crazy. And that's me. I'm an introvert. So, you know, I... I I know that if I show up as something like that and there aren't these mechanisms, I'm not going to feel comfortable. So we try and work from that place. Jonathan, I'm curious on the vitality bucket. You said people have a hard time being calm and present. Yeah. Do you think that's technology based, the reason for that? Or or do you think it's other things? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think technology is exacerbating it. But fundamentally, we uh, my sense is that we've had that issue for a yeah. long, long, long time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, in Western culture, especially, it's not it's not, it hasn't been prized. You know, we, we wake up in the morning, we live largely reactively and not intentionally. And the more you fill your day with all sorts of stuff, you know, that's sort of what we value here, like faster, 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 (laughs) busy, 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 busy. And I actually don't have a problem with busyness. What I do have a problem with is reactive busyness rather than intentional busyness, because then we basically spend our days maniacally busy and then our head hits the pillow at night and we feel like we haven't done anything that mattered to us and not only have we not caught up but we're perpetually falling behind and we never step into that place of intentionality or agency where we're like oh man i'm actually doing stuff that i really care about and i'm making choices rather than just reacting to a million maniacal agendas technology comes in because i think now we have so many more streams of information and other people's agendas that I think it just, it sort of compounds that, that more fundamental issue. Oh, I have never thought of that intentionality versus reactivity. That's I got to think about that in my life. I have a feeling I'm reacting a lot. I think we all, and I'm raising my hand right here also. You know, I think right. it's just sort of, it's the mode for so many of us. Now, as you know, I'm obsessed with the four tendencies, which is my personality framework that, um, like is all I can think about pa- practically. Um, if people haven't taken the quiz, I have my new app, the better app, which you can find if you just search in the app store under, uh, better Gretchen Rubin, or I'll put a link in the show notes to learn more about it because it's all about using the four tendencies. So did you take the quiz? Do you know what your tendency is, Jonathan? So 
So I have some interesting information Ooh, on this okay. Because I've taken mm-hmm. it twice. Okay. I, I took it when you first told me about it. When it, it was a year and a half, from, when it first came out. Yeah, maybe. it's changed a little bit. Right. So I took it the first time and, yeah. I, and I just retook it because yeah. I was curious before I came to hang out with you guys. And it's different. Ooh, that's and unusual. It's, it's exactly oppositely different. And I, I was trying to figure out why. And I'm pretty sure I know why, Ooh, okay. So, so you went from being an upholder to a rebel? Nope. You went from being a rebel? No. From a, what? <laughs> an obliger to a questioner. Ah. So I, I think I know why. It's funny because as soon as you said you took it twice, I'm like, oh, I bet he's a questioner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. That makes sense, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, I think I know why it happened, actually, and because I was remembering back and I remembered what I was struggling with the first time that I took it because I was really surprised when it came up with the Bliger because I'm somebody who's incredibly internally accountable. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I was surprised. And what I realized was I was actually focusing on pretty much a single outlier when I was making, when I was answering the questions, mm. which didn't represent most of my sort of day-to-day choices. And that is my relationship to food. In, ah. in particular, mm. to sugar. Ah. Um, so I knew that you know if I have you know all sorts of stuff to do for work and for life and for all this other stuff, I'm really good internally, and I'm constantly questioning whether things are valid or not. And I don't like to do stuff unless I understand that it actually will move the needle. But at the same time, I real when I was entering, I was thinking, well, if it's four o'clock and there's chocolate in front mm. of me. Unless there's some external mechanism of accountability, it's going in my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Interesting. And I realized when I you – know, so when I took it this time, I was like, well, let me answer to sort of my broader behavior yeah. rather than based on that one outlier that just keeps sort of like yeah. flashing in my head. And it came out questioner. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, first of all, if there's ever a conflict, you should always trust your gut because mm-hmm. the quiz – it's very hard to write a quiz that is going to capture this for everyone. And so if you have a strong feeling that you're a tendency, you should always trust your feeling about what your tendency is. And another thing is I do feel like sugar is – it's whether it is truly an addiction or whether addiction is even real, which some people say there is no real addiction, it certainly feels and acts like an addiction. So I think it can like mess with your the general principles of your life. Mm. Um, and so I think you were right not to focus on that particular way of behaving in the world as the uh, as being like the touchstone for the, your general way of being. And so, you know, let's just write the fact that you took it twice. That's very questioner. <laughs> you're yeah, like, I was like, oh, yeah, I questioners question- <laughs> always take it multiple times. Or, or, sometimes really they, funny. or sometimes they won't take it at all because they're like, why should I waste my time taking this quiz? It's not efficient yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, I question the validity of a framework that divides all of humanity into four categories. Very, very questioner. Oh, but just even your process of like, I did all this research and I'm trying to distill, distill, distill. I mean, that's very questioner in that like many people of all tendencies love research and love to learn. But it's like this thing of like, I'm trying to find the most efficient way into it. I'm trying to simplify. Like often questioners are very attracted to like uh, uh, solving problems, finding efficiency, streamlining processes. So just even the way you're talking about writing how to live a good life or how you think about it is sort of you brought a very questioner air to it. Yeah. And I, I constantly go to that place. I'm always, I want to know what's underneath the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, we always ask our guests to bring a try this at home tip. So if you've got one, I'm sure you have a million of them. I'd love to hear one. I do. I, I thought I would share something kind of fun with you and it's in the book, but uh, um, so it's what I call my give 30. Um, so mm-hmm. we know that when you give, when you're generous, when you're kind, 
It's great on so many levels. One, it helps other people, but also there's this phenomenon called the giver's glow, mm. where it literally, it triggers some changes in your own brain. It releases a chemical dopamine, and it gives you a sense of not just joy, but purpose and meaningfulness. So when we actually are kind to others and when we give, it actually makes us feel better ourselves. So I thought to myself, well, this is kind of interesting. How can we put this into the world more and do it in a fun way where you can do it in a single day? So there's another little bit of research that I stumbled upon from Sonia Lubomirsky, which mm. shows that actually there's a difference between spreading out your generosity and doing it in sort of like one little burst. Um, Adam Grant calls this sprinkling versus chunking. Turns out when you chunk your generosity, it actually has a much bigger effect on you that lasts longer. So I came up with this thing called the Give 30. And it's a really simple idea. Um, when you wake up tomorrow, so give yourself a full day to do this. Every time you have an opportunity to be kind or to be generous or to give, doesn't have to be money, it could be time, it could be the tiniest little thing. And it will take you, you know, estimating less than 30 seconds of your time. Mm. Very often it's just a few seconds. You have to say yes. And no more than 30 times. So your max commitment for the day is 15 minutes. Mm. Oh, and wow. it's amazing because when most people hear this the first time, they're like, 30 times, that's a lot. Like, I'll never be able to do that. What happens is when you wake up in the morning, you say to yourself, this is my give 30 day. Um, you start to see a gazillion sort of micro opportunities mm. all day long to hold the door from someone, to acknowledge your barista at the cafe, to do this. Just a couple of seconds. It's these momentary little, you know, like just bits of kindness that actually make a real difference in other people's lives. And by the time your head hits a pillow at the end of the day, <laughs> you're like, you know what? This was actually really easy and I feel good about myself. Right. And it probably lifts you out of a bad mood if you're in a bad mood. It's it the can. perfect antidote. Yeah. In fact, it's if you're kind of a little grumpy one day, um, <laughs> uh -huh. it's probably counterintuitive. You're like, oh, I don't want this to be my give 30 day, but it's sort of like great medicine for that day. Right. Excellent. Oh, that's such a great try. I this love that. Home. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for stopping by. It's so much fun to get to talk to you. Yeah, it's my How you. to live a good life. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, Gretch, time for demerits and gold stars. And you are up this week with a happiness demerit. What is your happiness demerit? Yeah, I have, I'm giving myself a demerit related to dithering. Mm. Um, so dithering to me is when you have the information that you need to make a decision. And then for whatever we or I have the information that I need, like not to distance myself from this. <laughs> I had the information that I needed to make a decision. And yet I just wasn't pushing myself to make a decision. So in my case, it has to do with the trim size for the four tendencies book. So I'm writing a book about the four tendencies. It's going to come out in September. And one of the questions is, what is the size of the book? That's called trim size. I never knew that. Yes. Uh, there are all these things that you don't know when you become a writer that like you wish that somebody had handed you like a secret pamphlet <laughs> about. But anyway, I slowly figured that out. So it's trim size. And there's sort of there were sort of issues related. Do you want it this trim size or that trim size? There's a different. And so at first I was dithering and then I'm like, actually, I'm dithering because I need information. So let me get that information. Then the information came back to me and then I continued to dither. Because I just, and I knew perfectly well that if I sat down and really had structured thought, you know, with like mm. pros and cons and really thought it through and really figured it out, I could reach a conclusion. But I didn't. I just dithered. And um, it's like 
part of being a grown up and being part of a professional process is like we all need to keep the ball rolling. We all need to make decisions as quickly as we reasonably can. And at that point, I had all the information that I needed. I was just I was just dithering. And so finally I did undither and uh, and I did the thing where I where I was like Sunday morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to think about this. So I put it on the calendar. So I did use that mm. bit of information. I was like, I'm going to put this on the calendar. First thing in the morning is always my clearest thinking. I'm going to get up. I'm going to think about it. And of course, it took like 10 minutes. Yeah, I have to say I dither all the time. I think we need to um, do a try this at home around the subject <laughs> of dithering because I never even thought to sort of call it a thing that I do. It just is part of life. Yeah. But you're right. Dithering is it plagues us all. It's draining. That's the thing about dithering. Dithering is draining because it gives you that nagging yes. feeling of 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 badness inside of you. No, and sometimes, like, my father-in-law talks about this a lot, which is, like, sometimes it's good to put off making a decision because you're learning more, mm. you know, and that so sometimes you don't, it, it's not ripe for decision-making. And so, but that is, ah. that is a specific strategy of decision-making, which is I'm going to let events unfold and learn more and then make a decision when I can make a better, a more informed decision. But dithering is when, yeah, you, it's not that. You're just waiting because you can't be bothered mm-hmm. to, like, go through the hard work of making a decision. Okay, so dithering uh, dithering is on the horizon. We're going to do a, a deep dive into dithering. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of alliteration <laughs> possibilities. Okay, yeah. gold star, gold star. What's your gold star? Okay, Gretch, I'm so excited to give a gold star today to two podcasts. People are always asking us to recommend yes. podcasts, which we yes. sometimes do. And today I've got two to recommend. Um, the first one is called the other F word. And in this mm. case, the F word is failure. Ooh, interesting. Yes. It's hosted by Morgan Simpson and Sarah Schiff Singer and Melissa Broner Schneider. And they have people on to talk about times in their life when they've failed and sort of what it means and what they learned and how it's impacted them later. Um, And I was actually on uh, this week's episode. If anyone wants to hear me talking about um, the time Sarah and I got fired off of our own show, (laughs) I tell the whole story. Um, I go into great detail about it, um, as well as my uh, fear of being a room mom, uh, fear of failing (laughs) at being a room mom. Um, And that'll be on the December 7th episode of The Other F Word. And they've had a lot of great guests. So I've really been enjoying that podcast. Oh, I cannot wait to listen. I think it's so fascinating to hear how people deal with failure. It's just endlessly fascinating. Yeah. What you realize is we all live in a vortex of shame and fear, basically. Uh, That's what it all comes down to. That's all of life. And then the other podcast I want to recommend is called Short and Sweet. Oh, I've listened to that excellent podcast. Yes. And it's short ampersand sweet when you look it up. Um, And it's hosted by Brooke Turner and Kadi Kamikate. And um, Brooke is also my assistant, Gretch, who you know, and she's fabulous. Yeah, she's so fun. And they talk about adulting, which I love the term adulting. It's like, okay, they're, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And it's like, okay, now that we're an adult, what are our wins? Yeah. What are our fails? <laughs> what is being an adult? And they're millennials. So yeah. it's really interesting to hear a millennial perspective. And they're really funny and energetic. And you just feel like you're with two girlfriends, but who are a lot cooler than you are. <laughs> 
and they're Gretchen, hilarious. Yeah, they're hilarious. And Gretchen, you they did um, an episode on the four tendencies Ooh. because, of course, I'm always talking about the four tendencies. And I got Brooke to take the quiz, and then she got all her friends to take the quiz, and now they're everyone's about the four tendencies. So, oh my gosh, well I've got to listen. I must have fallen behind. Excellent. I'm, I'm yes, a- that's the uh, I believe it's their November 30th episode. Okay. So I recommend tuning in for that. And um, those are my gold stars to podcast that everyone should give a listen to. Excellent. Excellent. Now, before we launch into the credits, Elizabeth, I think we need we should address a question from one of our listeners, a questioner named Eric from River Forest, Illinois, who asked a question about the fact that we often ask in the credits for people to rate and review us in iTunes. He says, I notice you usually mention at the end of the podcast to rate and review the podcast because it helps the podcast's success somehow. I'd like more information as to how doing this contributes to the further success of the podcast, which I want to see succeed. I feel like if you really want us to rate and review, a detailed explanation of how this helps would give your listeners who have questions or tendencies more motivation to do so. I notice you've somewhat accommodated rebels when asking to rate and review by using phrases such as, if time permits... Or if you feel inclined, so why not speak to the other tendencies as well? Well, Eric, thank you for your excellent application of the four tendencies, putting them into action. And you are right. Let me explain briefly why this helps us. It turns out that when people go to look at check out a podcast, one of the things they look at is the rates and reviews, both how many people have rated and reviewed it, because if a ton of people have rated and reviewed it, that shows that it's like a, more people are interested than if just a few. And obviously, if it has a really good rating, if it's got lots of stars, then that's going to make people feel more intrigued. And so basically what it is, is that it, it helps give uh, information, which you will appreciate as a questioner, Eric. It gives people information when they're checking out the podcast, that they're trying to decide whether to give it a shot. It helps them feel like, oh, this is worth my time and attention because it looks like a lot of people enjoy it. So that's why rating and reviewing really does help other listeners find their way to us because it turns out that listeners really respect the views of other listeners. So when they see that other listeners like something, they're more likely to give us a try. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Don't treat yourself. We also have to try this at home to treat yourself. This is don't treat yourself. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer, back from her honeymoon. Congratulations, Kristen. (laughs) Yes. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. And as we explained to Eric, please rate and review us. If you feel inclined, if you have the time, it is a big help to us. Thank you so much to our awesome guest, Jonathan Fields. Read his book, How to Live a Good Life, and listen to his podcast, another great podcast, Good Life Project. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. <laughs>